Hello, I'm Monty Schinkel of Take Heart Ministries. We're so thankful to have this opportunity to preach the gospel and to continue to tell people that they can take heart because Jesus cares for them. A part of what we're doing is a weekly podcast. We'll focus upon different passages of scripture and heroes from the Bible. This week, we're going to be looking at Elijah. In fact, over these next several weeks, we're going to be talking about the days of Elijah. Elijah lived during a difficult time in the land of Israel, as we live in a difficult time today. And yet through it all, he stayed strong in the Lord, and he brought God's faithful message to the people of Israel that they could take heart because they had a God who was strong and mighty against all the gods that Ahab and Jezebel and anyone else would bring up. Elijah's God prevailed. And on Mount Carmel and down in the valley and off in the desert, until the Lord took him to heaven, God was with him. And these are the days of Elijah. I want to ask you this morning to turn to the book of 2 Kings. We are moving on ahead in our days of Elijah study. So I want you to turn to 2 Kings this morning. You can find 2 Kings right after 1 Kings in your Bible. So you just turn there and uh, that's page 351 is where I'm going to be this morning. Now, Uh, I think coming up on the screen, the next thing I think, because I never look at these things unless I really need to, I think coming up on the screen is not me, but there's a statue. It's not a statue of me. Uh, It is a statue that stands on top of Mount Carmel. Seen it several times. Generally got a tour guide saying, go faster, go faster, go faster. We've got to get back on the bus so we can get the restaurant before the next busload of people get to the restaurant. Uh, When you look at that statue, here's Elijah. And uh, maybe you can't see it real clearly, but obviously you can see the sword that he's got in his hand. That's very clear. Uh, You can see that he doesn't have any hair on his head. And now every preacher is not bald-headed. Let me just say that. And I don't think the Bible ever tells us that Elijah was was, uh, bald. Uh, It says Elisha was hairless, but, but Elijah... He, in this image, somebody has, there he stands, and he is a fierce-looking prophet. And maybe you can't really see, but what he's got, obviously, under his foot is one of the prophets of Baal, and he's getting ready to do him in, uh, or has already done him in. So here's this picture we have of Elijah. And so a lot of folks would say, uh, based on that picture and based on what we know about Elijah more than anything else, is that that would have been Elijah's finest hour. When he stood on Mount Carmel and he prayed a very simple prayer and he called for the fire of God to fall and the fire fell, consumed the altar and everything that was on the altar and licked up the water around the altar that you'd say, when was Elijah's finest hour? They'd say, well, that was his finest hour. Well, if you're going to build a statue to every fine hour that Elijah had, it's going to keep statue builder pretty busy. Uh, I mean, you start with Elijah, and he hears God's call when he is over in Gilead, and he kind of comes in out of the desert. He has not, to our knowledge, been educated in the great divinity schools of his day. He just simply shows up in a spiritual wasteland that Israel had become and said, it's not going to rain anymore except by my word. And then God grabs him up and he takes him down to Cherith and says, you stay right here. Uh, I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. And so he stays there. Then God sends him, when the brook dries up, God sends him to Zarephath. 
And he says, I've commanded a widow woman there to sustain you. So he stayed there. Then God said, I want you to go stand before Ahab once again and tell him it is showdown at the OK Corral. It is showdown on Mount Carmel. Uh, we've, come to a, we've come to a head now. And so he shows up and Elijah says, uh, or, or uh, Ahab says to Elijah, are you the one that troubles Israel? And Elijah says, I'm not the one that troubles Israel. Israel, it's you and your wife and it's all these prophets of Baal. You're the one that's, show, that, that's troubled Israel. And so then they have the showdown on Mount Carmel where they cry out and they call on their God to send down fire and false gods give no answer. They never have and they never will. And so then Elijah rebuilds the altar of the Lord. I mean, we've walked through this the last few weeks, but I'm telling you this because some of you have not been with us through these last few weeks. And so he rebuilds the altar of the Lord, and Elijah calls out to God, and fire falls. And then Elijah falls on his face, and he begins to pray to God. Seven times he says, God, send rain. And on the seventh time, God answers that prayer with a cloud the size of a man's hand. And Elijah says, get ready, go down and tell Ahab. There's the sound of abundance of rain that is coming. Then Jezebel says, I'm going to kill him. So he runs and hides in the wilderness. He crawls up under a juniper tree, and he says, Lord, I want to die. And he really didn't want to die, but that's what he said. And God ministered to him in his spiritual dryness and met his needs. And then for seven years... We don't hear much about Elijah. He finds Elisha. He anoints Elisha to be the next priest, the next uh, prophet that is going to follow him. And then uh, Ahab and Jezebel steal a vineyard from an old boy named Naboth. And Elijah shows up and says to Ahab, uh, what you've done to Naboth, you've shed his blood. You've shed the blood of his children. It's going to happen to you. Judgment is coming on you, Ahab. And to Jezebel... Uh, the dogs are going to eat her body. I mean, when God judges, he judges fiercely. And when you see this throughout the life of Elijah, it is God moving, God moving, God moving, God moving. But I would submit to you that you could build statues all along the way, but none of those statues would have represented Elijah's finest hour. And the neat thing about all of it is that Elijah's finest hour is going to be his final hour on this earth. You know how I'd like to live my life and, and die my death? I'd like for the hour of my death to be my finest hour. Now you think about it. Think, just think about it. Just, just think about it in your own life. When I came to know Jesus Christ, my Savior, all my sins were forgiven. It was sealed. It was done. I was on my way to heaven. And if I wanted to live a life that says I'm never going to sin again, God should have took me home right then. Or y'all are awful quiet. Because truthfully, as we go through life, we, do, we battle with trials and temptations and sin. And God's Word says in 1 John, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So if I wanted to go home, never having to fight a fight with sin, uh, being totally sanctified, uh, not having any of those things that we battle with, uh, the, the mind, the will, the emotions, if I wanted to go home, I would have wanted to die the very night that I came to know Jesus Christ. I would have said that. But life goes on, and it's a struggle. So Elijah, the same thing with Elijah. 
Life goes on. It's a struggle. And then there comes a day when God says to Elijah, I'm going to take you home. Look in chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah unto heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah begins to walk to where this is going to happen. He goes from, uh, he goes from Gilgal, uh, and, and uh, the Bible says in verse 2, And Elijah said to Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. So he goes from Gilgal to Bethel. Then he goes from Bethel on and look down in verse 4. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here. I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. So then he goes on. He said, as the Lord lives and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho and the sons of the prophets then told Elisha, they, they knew what was going on. And they said, do you know the Lord will take away your master this day, today? And he answered, yeah, I know it. Be quiet. Hold your peace. Verse 6, and Elijah said unto him, Terry, I pray thee, hear for the Lord that sent me to Jordan. And he says, The Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they went on. And, say, and the Bible says in verse 7, 50 men of the prophets, the sons of the prophets, went and stood to view afar off. And they too stood by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle, and he wrapped it together, and he smote the waters, and they were divided hither and thither. Uh, so that they too went over on dry ground. It came to pass that when they were gone over, that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I, I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be unto thee. But if not, it shall not be. Uh, so, and it came to pass in verse 11, it came to pass as they still went on and as they talked that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. There are two people in the Old Testament that did not die. Enoch did not die. The Bible tells us in Genesis that he walked with God and he was not because God took him. That's an amazing thing. A very simple statement about a man named Enoch. He walked with God and he was not. I mean, if a day can come when somebody looks at you and says, he walked with God and now he is not. Not what? Not here. I've heard folks say that Probably it went something like this, that God and Enoch are walking along and they just had a great day and they've been fellowshipping together and suddenly God says, Enoch, it's a whole lot closer to my house than it is your house. Come on home with me. You see, in, in this man, there is this picture of a man that is raptured and the very same thing shows up in Elijah. Elijah is a man that walks with God, is with God, follows after God, not a perfect man at all, but there just comes a day when God says, this is the day, and he plucks him up. He pulls him up. He takes him home. Now, both of those men are pictures of a day that is coming when God's going to take his people home. It could be in my lifetime. It could be in my generation.
Hello, this is Monty Schenkel, and we sure appreciate you listening to this podcast. This is a new effort on our part from Take Heart Ministry. A little over a year ago, we began Take Heart Ministry with the intention of telling people by means of radio and also the internet and now by podcasts that they can take heart because Jesus cares for them. If you'd like to know more about us, if you'd like to check our ministry out, you can go to takeheart.org. If you would like to personally contact me, you can write to Monty Schinkel or you can write to mschinkel at takeheart.org. Thank you for listening and now back to the podcast. A lot of things happen in this world. You say, look back in the history, and you say, oh, there's always been a lot of things happening in this world. There's a lot of things that have happened in my lifetime. There's a lot of capabilities that have come about in our lifetime that were not in the past. There are so many things that point to the fact that we are living in the end times, and there is going to be a generation that does not die. Just like old Elijah, Betty's going to walk out one morning to count her chickens, and up she goes. She may not even get my breakfast fixed. We don't know how it's going to be, folks. We can't paint the picture. Just, we just know this. The day is coming that those who know Jesus Christ, whether in death or whether in life, are going to leave this world in triumph. Everybody wants to live a triumphant life. Everybody wants everything we put our hands to to be triumphant and successful. Uh, We always want our team to have the ticker tape parade because we want to have a triumphant team. We want to win that national championship. We want to win that state championship. We always want to be in triumph. It is always that way. And yet, well, those who know Jesus Christ, their Savior, and if you walk with God and you stay faithful to God and you just hang in there through the good times and the bad times over a long course of life, as Eugene Peterson said, a long obedience in the same direction. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense until you stop and think about it. A long obedience in the same direction. You're just long obedient in the same direction following after Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you, the greatest day of your life can be your very last day. You don't make statues about that. You don't make statues of a whirlwind and Elijah going up. You, you stand one on top of Mount Carmel that shows him facing down the prophets of Baal. But I want to submit to you this morning that the greatest day of his life, at least up to that point, was the day that he was taken up in a whirlwind. I want to talk to you about this life and, and ending in triumph, our, our final and our finest hour. And I'm going to set three things before you this morning. First of all, I want to talk to you about the process of time in our lives. And then I want to talk about the pressure of trials that come in our lives. And then I want to talk to you about the power of tenacity that flows from our life. And with having said all that, I just want to put my notes aside and I just want to preach. Okay. God uses time. There's this process of time. When I look at the life of Elijah, I see him over a long span of time. You know, a lot of people that show up in the Bible, in the Old Testament, the New Testament, you just get a little bit of their life. You just, you know, there's this instance that happened with that prophet and this instance that happened with that prophet. There are a few people like Moses. You look at Moses' life over 120 years. It's a long span of time. But Moses represents the law. He was the lawgiver. He was a great man. You look at David's life, 
And you get a glimpse of David over a long period of time. We kind of think we understand David a little bit because he was a shepherd boy when uh, God began to work in his life and eventually become the greatest king Israel had, the great songwriter, the great warrior. And you say, well, also the great sinner. Yeah, but David was a great man. I think the greatest king Israel ever had. We look at his life over a long period of time. So if if Moses is the lawgiver and he represents the law and David is the greatest king, he represents the kings, who would you say is the greatest prophet in the Old Testament? Elijah. Now, I mean, I'm not his judge, but I look at Elijah's life and I think, I don't know how old he was. We get to look at it for about a 30-year period of time. We're just watching this man and how God works in his life. God is looking at him, and we are looking at him. And from the time that God called him when he's over across the Jordan River and he's over there in Gilead and this young prophet comes in out of the desert and says, it's not going to rain except by my word, we begin to catch a glimpse of his life. We watch him as he faithfully serves the Lord uh, down there at the brook Cherith the widow of Zarephath, that he raises her son from the dead. We watch him as he faces down the prophets of Baal. What I'm saying is that over a long period of time, God is taking him toward his day of triumph. God is taking you somewhere. Sanctification does not come overnight. There is no path to instant sainthood you don't just wake up one day and say i'm sanctified now i've made it because this whole thing the process of time god works in our life and somebody uh, asked the president of a university one time because they looked at the layout of all the classes and i've been there and i've done that and thought like man you mean i have to take chemistry 110 three times yeah just to pass it you just got to take it three times and you'll pass it. But you sit down and you look at the core curriculum and you look at everything that you've got to go through when you're going through school and you think, goodness gracious, isn't there a shorter way out of this place? Isn't there a shorter course of action? And so this guy wrote his uh, university president and he said, well, you know what? When God wants to make an oak tree, he takes 60 years. When he wants to make a gourd, he takes six weeks. So now gourd head, <laughs> I'm, I'm adding to that. You can live a life of an oak tree. I'm, we're right now looking at time of late summer trying to get in a last little bit of a garden, and I'm looking at, and a couple weeks ago I planted some beans, and if they came up, they fed the rabbits real good because they're gone. And so you think, it says the beans, they're going to grow in 60 days. But I look at the trees in our yard, and I know some have been there for years and years and years and years, Tony. You'd know. And so, you know, do you want to be a tree? What do you want to be? When you grow up, some of you old people here that are 59 years old, 60, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'm telling you something. God uses this process of time, and the further you go in your walk with the Lord, the way you handle the things that come into your life, it changes radically. God uses the process of time. Miles Stanford wrote a little book called The Green Letters, And in it, he talked about the great men and women of God that God has used through the years. And he said on an average, he said this is on an average, it takes 15 years from the time that we come to know Jesus Christ until we come to some measure 
of maturity until we come to realize that Jesus Christ is our all in all. Fifteen years. Through the years, I've watched people that didn't last 15 days, 15 weeks, 15 months. You just expect it's going to happen instantly. And in Elijah's life, as in ours, if you're going to move to this day of triumph, it takes the process of time. It takes the pressure of trials. Elijah did not have it easy. You say, well, yeah, but God was with Elijah, and it was a special time, and oh, I know that it was a special time God was with Elijah, and here's part of this special time thing. God says, I've got something for you to do, Elijah. He's answering God's call, and he stands up, and he says, no more rain. Pretty simple sermon. And then God says, Elijah, while everything else is going to dry up around you, where you are is going to dry up as well. Right now, I have commanded the ravens, the birds of prey, the predators, the scavengers to feed you. So he sends him down to the brook of Cherith, and he is there until along with everybody else. You see, he's going to suffer just like everybody else, right along with them as everything dries up, but God takes care of him. Then he goes to this widow lady, totally this mighty, mighty prophet of God, totally dependent upon this, this humble widow woman. Trials. Standing on Mount Carmel. Trials. Facing down the prophets of Baal. Trials. Praying for rain. God, you didn't, you didn't answer the first time I asked you. It seems like you should answer the first time I asked you. No, Elijah, you've got to pray seven times for the rain to come. That's trial. Then running from Jezebel. Running into the wilderness. Do you realize what a lonely life Elijah lived? I've heard folks say it's lonely at the top. Well, Elijah just says it's lonely in the wilderness. It's lonely when I'm listening to God. It's lonely when I'm speaking God's word. It's lonely when every prophet of Baal is out to get me. It's lonely when the king's wife is at the queen, Jezebel, is out to get me. It's just lonely. And so he goes running out into the wilderness in the middle of this trial, the great pressure of trials. And all the way through his life, you know, I've tried to tell people this because someone said it to me one time, or I read it in a book sometime, and I've come to understand it. I believe it is true, that you think that the further you go in life, that life is going to get easier. It's not going to happen that way, folks. The further you go in life, life doesn't get easier. Your perspective on trials may change. You understand something. God does not tempt us. James said, when, let nobody say that when they are, they are tempted, that they are tempted of God, because God can't be tempted with evil, neither does he tempt anybody with evil. But one thing we do know, in the process of God conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ, he does test us. Over a long period of time, Elijah, did Elijah pass every test? I don't think so. You see, when he's under that juniper tree and he says, uh, let me die because I'm no better than my father's, I think it meant that there was a time when Elijah thought that he was better than his father's. 
And then, and then he begins to question God. God, why, why have you deserted me? God, why have you let me go through all of this to be at this point? And God sends an angel to minister to him, gives him that angel food cake, uh, loves on him, strengthens him for the rest of the journey. And what does God say to him? The journey is too strong for you, Elijah. I'd say to some of you all in this building this morning, the journey is too strong for you. If you're trying to do it in your own strength, Pressure of trials. Process of time. Pressure of trials. And then there's the power of tenacity. Very simple, two words. Don't quit. You may be thinking about it, but if you're going to have a day of triumph where God in mighty victory comes down and swoops you up to heaven, either by the upper taker or by the undertaker, but if your final hour is going to be your finest hour, then it means something. That, it means that you cannot quit. Don't let yourself quit. And there's times when everybody wants to quit. The journey in your life is too hard. Getting through school is too hard. Your marriage is too hard. Your Sunday school class is too hard. Your job, it's too hard. I can go on and on and on, and you don't want to hear it. Well, suck it up. Don't quit. Because I think this, and I believe this to be true, that God is in the process of doing something in your life. He is preparing you for your finest hour. Finest hour may not be what we think it's going to be. It may not be that the president hangs a medal of freedom around your neck. It may not be that somebody gives you a big plaque and says, thank you for your years of service. It may not be, and I had some railroaders in my family tree, it may not be they give you a watch when you retire from the L&N and, and basically say, thank you for your time of service. That may not be your final hour, but to think about this, you've lived your life for the Lord. You've lived your life looking forward to meeting the Lord, believing that, 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 that there really is a Lord and there really is a heaven and there really is a future and that you really have trusted in Christ and Christ really has been faithful to you. Then, folks, you don't have to be afraid of what may come down the road. You just have to look forward to it. You say, well, I'm not necessarily looking forward to it today. No, you want to come back for a business meeting tonight. I understand that. You want to be here to memorialize the Lord's Last Supper. You want to be with us tonight. I understand that. I get that. You want to watch your family grow. You want to see your grandkids uh, grow. You want to see your family grow strong. You want to see them trust Christ. I'm looking forward to baptizing my grandkids for crying out loud. I'm looking forward to those things that are yet going to happen. And yet today, who am I to say but what this could be my finest hour? That before this day is over, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we go home. Now, when I look at this passage of Scripture, the Bible says in verse 11, And it came to pass, as they too went on and talked, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and they parted them both asunder, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And you say, that's all there is to Elijah. Well, when I say that this is his finest hour, I'm going to hedge just a little bit and say it might have been. It might have been. Because you see, 
we don't know what we're going to do when we get to heaven. I hear people talk about when I get to heaven, it's going to be a great big golf course. And if I get to heaven and it's a great big golf course, I'm going to think I've gone the wrong place, Dwayne. Uh, and I think I'm going to go to heaven and, you know, I'm going to catch fish this long out of that river of life and I and, uh, won't even have to clean them, eat them just like eating bananas. And, I mean, we have all these ideas about what, and we sang about the Revelation song earlier. We have all these ideas about what heaven's about. But what if Elijah gets home to heaven on this particular day and God has taken him up and Elijah said, whew, I can rest now. It is all over. I am finally home. What a day this is. And God says, wait a minute. I've got something else for you to do, Elijah. Now think about that. I mean, I get excited about thinking about that. You say, well, what else could be done with Elijah? I mean, we're going to be worshiping God throughout all eternity. What else could be done? God says to Elijah, and he says to Moses, by the way, and Moses' death was pretty mysterious also. Nobody, God buried Moses. Nobody knows what happened to Moses. God buried him. But God said to Elijah and Moses one day, he said, my son, Jesus Christ, only begotten, he needs to be strengthened. He needs some encouragement. Who can encourage somebody like someone who has, over the course of 120 years like Moses, and over the last 40 years, that led a wandering bunch of Jewish people through the wilderness? Who else, with all the discouragement heaped upon Moses, who else could be an encourager like Moses? And so God says to Elijah, you're going to go down too. And so on top of Mount, the Mount of Transfiguration, here is Jesus and Peter and James and John. And they are looking on Jesus as he is transfigured and his clothes begin to glow in their presence. And they hear a voice that says, this is my beloved son. You listen to what he has to say. You hear him. I am well pleased with him. But it's an amazing thing to me that it, on top of the Mount of Transfiguration, there stands Elijah and Moses consoling our Lord about the things that he must suffer and the things that must come. Who better than Elijah? Who better than Moses, who knew what it was over time, through trials, with tenacity, not quit? It, that might have been their finest hour, standing beside the Son of God. What is going to be your finest hour? Thank you for listening to this podcast today. We appreciate you tuning in. We pray that this has been a blessing to you. And I pray that today you in your own heart can take heart because you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. And Jesus came to be the Savior of all who would call upon Him. And if today you've never trusted in Him, I encourage you to say, Lord Jesus, come into my life, forgive me and save me. And God's Word says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Our purpose in all of this is to encourage you to know Jesus, to love Jesus, to grow in Jesus, and to take heart in Jesus. He cares for you.